Hi, everyone. Before we start, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment of work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles and how we can really begin to make workplaces work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. I think a really good way of understanding emotional agility is also to recognize its opposite, rigidity. Being very siloed, us and them, stereotyping, avoidant, really experiencing things in ourselves or in others that are difficult, but not actually metabolizing them and working through them. What we do when we're emotionally agile is we recognize that firstly, difficult emotions are part of our contract with life. That we as human beings do not get to have a meaningful career, to raise a family or to leave the world a better place without stress and discomfort. So discomfort is actually the price of admission in many ways to a meaningful life. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. We all know that the COVID-19 virus is spreading at an alarming rate, but fear and panic can spread even faster. Fortunately, there are steps that each of us can take to boost our emotional response to the never-ending stream of anxiety, fear and panic created by this pandemic. We're all really a product of our environment, as research finds that we tend to be influenced by other people's behaviours and emotions. We might even copy them. And while this might not be a problem most of the time, it can be really unhelpful during a crisis. For many of us, one of the major challenges we must manage during the global pandemic is simply our ability to deal with the never-ending uncertainty and emotional turmoil the pandemic creates. To help with this, Dr. Susan David, Harvard Medical School psychologist and author of the best-selling book, Emotional Agility, will be joining us on today's episode. Susan will share her life's work researching and understanding how we can deal with our emotional response in an effective way and what this really looks like during a global pandemic. She'll also share strategies that leaders can use to create an emotionally agile workforce and successfully navigate their teams through this very tricky time. In 2006, as part of my first master's degree, I published my very first academic journal article entitled Emotional Intelligence and Occupational Stress Among Professional Staff in New Zealand. The study included an online survey of 157 professional men and women, and the findings revealed that emotional self-management and understanding others' emotions 
appear to play a really important role in managing work-related stress. There are so many benefits to being able to manage your emotional response to your environment, and stress is really just one of them. The good news is that it is possible for all of us to develop our ability to manage our emotional response to situations. This is basically what emotional agility is. It means that you're able to observe the emotion you're experiencing rather than being overwhelmed by it. Psychologically, an emotion only lasts 70 to 90 seconds in the body. It hits you like a wave, your blood pressure rises, your mouth may go dry. But 70 to 90 seconds later, those responses will go away. Our responsibility when we're hit with an emotional wave is to observe our response and practice limiting that response to the facts that we have at hand, rather than simply jumping on an emotional roller coaster. This holds especially true during a crisis when the waves are hitting us non-stop. We have to observe and process emotions as they arise, rather than letting them build up. Here, Susan David shares more on this and her journey to understanding emotional agility. I've always been focused on in my research this key question, which is what does it take internally in the way we deal with our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories that help us to thrive in the world? And I first started to think of these ideas not in the academic realm, but really in growing up as a white South African in apartheid South Africa. And it was, you know, very much a country and a community that was committed to not seeing, you know, to denial of emotion and denial of experience. But I first started to really work with these ideas in a more closely felt way when my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So when I was 15 years old, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And what I experienced both in his illness and in his death is people, you know, very often coming and saying, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing? You look like you're doing so well. Are you okay? And really this recognition that so much of the narrative that we have in society about emotions is about, you know, be positive. So people with cancer are automatically told to just be positive. In organizations, we don't call it that. We call it just getting on with things or pivoting. Um, But really, there's a narrative in society that focuses on this idea that somehow we have good emotions and bad emotions, and that the good emotions are emotions like joy and happiness and positivity and those kind of experiences, and the bad ones are sadness and grief. And so from a very early age, I really became interested in these emotions that are often more difficult to experience, like grief, sadness, anxiety, anger. And yet the realization that these emotions are critically important to us, not only in processing them, but also in understanding ourselves and becoming resilient in recognizing what's important to us. And so the whole idea of emotional agility was really born from the research that shows that when we have a particular way of being with our difficult experiences, and we can explore what that looks like and what that means, but when we have a way of being with our difficult experiences and that way of being is healthy, that actually positions us to be more resilient and more open and courageous in a world that's really demanding that of us right now. 
Research shows that attempting to minimize or ignore our thoughts and emotions only serves to amplify them. Anyone who's dreamed of chocolate cake and french fries while following a strict diet really understands this problem. Emotionally able people don't deny, hide, pretend, or ignore their lived experiences. Instead, they approach them in a mindful, open, authentic, and productive way. Here, Susan shares the difference between emotional rigidity and emotional agility. I think a really good way of understanding emotional agility is also to recognize its opposite. So what is the opposite? The opposite of emotional agility is rigidity. And so what that often means is being very siloed, us and them, uh, stereotyping, avoidant, really experiencing things in ourselves or in others that are difficult, but not actually metabolizing them and working through them. And so examples of what emotional inagility might look like is you might feel undermined in a meeting, so you immediately shut down. Or you engage in these ideas of stereotypes and us and them. And what we know is that when people experience great levels of complexity, when, as we have now, we've got huge amounts of information coming at us, we're trying to process it. What's really happening very often is we tend to default to this emotional rigidity. And, you know, nothing powerful is really born of emotional rigidity. In organizations, what it does is it causes a lack of innovation and very siloed components in the organization. When we as individuals are emotionally rigid, we aren't able to draw on other aspects of ourselves. So we aren't able to be values congruent. We aren't able to see the other. We often aren't able to nurture our relationships effectively. So what is emotional agility? Emotional agility is the ability to be with ourselves in ways that are curious, courageous, and also compassionate. And when we emotionally agile, what we're doing with difficult experiences is we aren't saying things like, oh, well, you know, I'm unhappy in this situation right now, but at least I've got a job. I should just be grateful for my job. Or there's all of this anger that's going on in the world, but I just don't want to deal with it. What we do when we're emotionally agile is we recognize that firstly, difficult emotions are part of our contract with life. That we as human beings do not get to have a meaningful career, to raise a family or to leave the world a better place without stress and discomfort. So discomfort is actually the price of admission in many ways to a meaningful life. So when we are emotionally agile and we experience difficult emotions, Instead of pushing them aside, trying to force positivity, try to say things like, you know, well, at least, you know, I should be happy with everything I've got. I should be grateful, but, you know, I feel really tough inside, but I'm just not going to go there. What we instead are doing is we are recognizing that as human beings, we are beautiful and capacious and complex and able enough to have a full range of emotional experience. And so, you know, what does this look like in practice? When people push aside difficult emotions, when they try to rationalize them or think of these difficult emotions as being bad, it's not that the emotions just go away. We actually know that instead we have an amplification effect. You know, you try not to think about something difficult and actually that takes a huge amount of cognitive resource. 
and it stops us from actually being present to the situation and solving the problem effectively. So trying to push aside difficult emotions or even difficult thoughts doesn't work. We also know that people who focus overly on, you know, I've just got to be happy, I've got this goal of being happy, I'm trying to be positive all the time, that actually over time they become less happy, they become less effective, and there's an association of these ways of focusing on happiness that actually shows that over time it's associated with high levels of depression and anxiety. Now, why is this? It is likely because our emotions and our thinking, even if those are on the surface difficult, that those evolved to help us to adapt and to thrive in the world. And so when we push aside these difficult experiences and thoughts, we also push aside our capacity to adapt. In a COVID-19 world, the ability to manage stress associated with things like isolation, at-homeschooling, dependent care, and feeling overwhelmed is essential to survive. Numerous studies show that emotional agility can help people alleviate stress, reduce errors, become more innovative, and improve job performance. Here, Susan shares why emotional agility is a critical life skill. First is moving away from judgments about it's a good or it's a bad, positive or negative thought or emotion. It's instead showing up to what it is that we're feeling with compassion you know this is tough what people are going through when they've lost their jobs is tough if you're trying to homeschool your child and manage a gazillion zoom meetings in the day as well that's tough and it's really powerful when we show up to ourselves in ways that are compassionate and kind when we do this we actually create a space that allows us to then be present to the moment, but also to make effective change. The second part of emotional agility is to be curious with these difficult emotions. So it's not just about tolerating them, it's about saying, you know, tough emotions are often signaling things that are important to us. They are signposting our values. So you feel rage when you watch the news, that rage might be a signpost that you value a world that is fair and equitable. That rage might be actually signposting your values, the things that you care about and helping you to take active steps towards it. If you're feeling bored in your job, that boredom might be signposting that you value learning and growth and that you don't have enough of it right now. So if you pay attention to your emotions as data, then you can also start tweaking and making shifts that allow you to bring your values more front and center towards how you love, live, parent, and lead. These skills have always been important because, of course, in any age, in any part of history, we are always faced with the immediate demands of the moment, whether that's relationships or how we're parenting or how we're working, but we're also faced with a wider context of what's going on in society. So emotional agility has always been a critical skill set, 
But I would suggest that right now, emotional agility is likely the most critical skill set. It's only when we are able to be open to discomfort that we can then learn that we can be, you know, on the flip side of what might be a success, but what might also fail. And so it's these skills that even pre-COVID are critical in a fast changing world. And of course, during COVID, the capacity to be able to be centered in a world that is shifting every day, in which emotions are running high, and in which there are real questions that we need to be asking ourselves as human beings about how to forge a society that feels more just and equitable and fair. And, you know, COVID has really highlighted for us so many levels of injustice and inequity. And life is really asking every single one of us right now, who do you choose to be? Who do you choose to be? It is possible to develop emotional agility. As Susan says, the aim is not to be too rigid about which emotions are good or bad, as this can lead to judgments that can diminish your compassion for yourself and others and make you less resilient in the face of life's challenges. For example, you can get stuck feeling sad about feeling sad. However, when you have emotional agility, you're able to navigate all of your emotions with curiosity and compassion and act in ways that align with how you most want to live. Here, Susan shares important actions you can take to develop emotional agility. The first is that when we are experiencing difficult emotions, we often really hard on ourselves. So it's been really interesting to me that even in the shadow of so much uncertainty and death and illness, that society still seems to have a way of conspiring against self-compassion. So there've been messages a lot on social media and beyond saying things like, well, you know, if you didn't use the time you had in quarantine to write your screenplay, it's not that you, you know, left the time because that you were lazy. And don't get me wrong, you know, if you became a master in mid-century Scandinavian cinema during quarantine and that's what you really wanted to do, like, you know, all power to you. But it is really interesting that the messages of society are so often this idea that we've got to be hard on ourselves, that we are in a never-ending Iron Man or Iron Woman competition where it's about just goals and goals and goals. So a really important part of self-compassion is when you're having a tough experience to really treat yourself in a way that you would treat someone that you really love who is having a tough experience. You wouldn't berate that person. You wouldn't tell them that they were lazy or fat or stupid or, you know, that they just need a man up. You would put your arms around them and you would love them. And we need to be able to do the same to ourselves. And so what does that look like? It looks like self-kindness. It looks like sometimes even just a powerful thing that surgeons do or that medical practitioners do when they're going into a really difficult situation is even just like putting your hand against your chest, 
that sense of, you know, it, it might sound trite, but that like sense of being able to connect with yourself, to ground yourself, and to remind yourself that you are a human being doing the best you can with who you are, with the resources that you have been given in life. And that your husband, your spouse, your work colleagues, your children are also doing the best they can with who they are and with the circumstances they've been given. And so people will often say, well, isn't self-compassion about being weak? Isn't it about being lazy? And the answer is no. You know, it's, it's really interesting. What we know is that when people are self-compassionate, it actually creates a safe context within themselves in which they can explore and take risks and put their hands up for a new job or, you know, reach out to someone even in the face of potential rejection. They are more able to take risks because they know that if things don't work out, they will still be kind to themselves. And so in that context, what we actually know is people who are self-compassionate are much more likely to be more honest with themselves, be more motivated, be more able to focus on their goals and what they're trying to achieve. So that's one aspect. There are many different aspects of emotional agility. I'm just giving some examples, but that's one. A second uh, recommendation or a second strategy that can be really helpful to people is if you're feeling a difficult emotion, often what we'll say is we use language that in essence defines us and overly strongly identifies us as that emotion. So this is what I mean. I am sad. I am angry. I am anxious. You can hear that what that language is doing is it's saying I am all of me, 100% of me is that emotion. Now, you are not your emotion. You know, your emotion is a data source that can be evaluated and understood, but you are not your emotion. And so labeling your thoughts, your emotions, and your stories for what they are. They are thoughts, they are emotions, they are stories, they are feelings, they are not fact. Labeling them for what they are can be really powerful. So what does this look like? I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad. I'm being undermined. I'm noticing the thought that I'm being undermined. There's no point in even trying because I'm just not a creative person. I am not creative. I'm noticing that that's my I'm not creative story. What you're doing here is you're creating linguistic space which is very subtle, but it's extraordinarily powerful between you and the emotion. So that's a second strategy. A third, just very quick one, there are many that I describe very practically in my work. But a very important one is that often when we experience tough emotions, we use very broad brushstroke umbrella labels to describe what the emotion is. I'm stressed is the most common one I hear. But if we think about it, there's a world of difference between stress and disappointment or 
stress and feeling unsupported. When you label everything as stress, you don't actually psychologically have any pathway forward because it's this huge morris of experience that's very ambiguous. So very powerfully, what I found in my work and what others have found in theirs, it's called emotion granularity. And this is that instead of labeling emotions with these big words, instead try to label your emotion accurately. Instead of stress, you say, I'm exhausted, or I am feeling unsupported. Immediately what it does is it helps you to understand the cause of that emotion and also what you need to do in the face of the emotion. The person who is feeling exhausted is able to then ready themselves of, I need to give myself a break. Or the person who says, I'm in the wrong career, is able to ready themselves to get their resume together. And it might be that now is not the time where you're looking for a new job, but you start to ready yourself in terms of the skills or the aspects that you might need in order to bring the best of yourself forward. But we only get to that place when we actually label our emotions accurately. Emotional agility is critical for building psychological safety at work, which leads to greater acts of kindness, compassion, innovation, and creativity. Here, Susan shares why developing emotional agility leads to a psychologically safe work environment. So there are a couple of things that I would recommend. The first is that, you know, whether we in COVID or post-COVID, the idea that we are all in this together is a fallacy. We are not all in this together. Some people are looking after elderly parents while trying to run 10 hours of Zoom calls a day and have two young children at home. Other people, they in circumstances where they're in very close quarters with one another and they're struggling. So we're not all in this together. And when leaders suggest, are we all in this together? It can sound like it's being very, you know, let's bring the team together. But actually, a lot of team members can experience this as a complete invalidation because it's not actually seeing them. It's not seeing the person that is in front of them who might be struggling, you know, the the team member. And so what I would suggest uh, is really important is, firstly, as leaders, it's really difficult to lead others when you yourself are struggling with stress, with burnout, and with your own difficult experiences. So as leaders, be kind to yourself. Recognize that you need to create space between, you know, your Zoom work and your home life. Create pockets in the day where you replenish and where you are reconnecting. That's really important. A second aspect of this is to maybe not be saying to people, you know, we're all in this together, but rather be saying, you know, I understand that like this is a tough experience for so many. You know, what you're doing there is you are showing up to the reality of people's experience. And what can be a powerful way to bring a team together is instead of saying, are we all in this together? 
is, you know, maybe to try to create in the team a shared sense of value. So what do I mean by this? We don't have all the answers. We don't know what the next six months is going to look like. But what we can choose is how we want to be with one another. How do we want to support one another? What values do we want to continue to bring forward in our connections or in the way we interact with our clients? Those kind of conversations are conversations that leaders are then, you know, they're not in denial, rather they're facing into the situation with compassion, but it's also generating a sense of shared connection and a shared movement forward. And that's really powerful. There's fascinating and beautiful work that's been done on the idea of uh, psychological safety. You know, the idea that when people in teams feel like they are able to bring their concerns, whether that concern is about, gee, the way you're launching this product is something that I disagree with because I don't think clients are going to buy it, or whether the concern is about an error that might be made in a hospital setting. We know that uh, you know psychological safety, when that is created, where people feel that they are able to bring the reality of their emotional experience forward, that that's really critically important to organizations because organizations are only able to adapt their product or to fix any potential errors when they have them brought to their attention. And so it's only when you create a context in which people feel able and safe to do that, that the organization is actually able to innovate and be agile and be effective. And so psychological safety is a really important aspect of this. And of course, you know, again, what enables psychological safety? It's not forcing a situation in which people feel like they have to just plaster on a face that has a smile on it and pretend that everything is okay. In fact, we know the opposite. We know that when people feel that they have to do that, that not only is the organization not positioned to learn and innovate, but it is also associated with higher levels of burnout and, you know, greater levels of emotional labor. So what what helps people is when people are able to feel like the reality of the situation is being seen and where they are able to draw a line between themselves and their values and their actions. And leaders can definitely support that by, you know, asking things like, who do we want to be in this situation? Like, how do we want to bring ourselves forward? These are really important questions that leaders can be asking. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I loved Susan's message. I hope it will encourage each of you to be compassionate with yourself. It is crucial to remember that our emotions are just feelings, not facts. Just because we feel fear and we have the inclination to run to the supermarket and hoard toilet paper, it doesn't mean that we have to. We can instead be compassionate with ourselves. We can notice the feeling of fear and not be defined by it. This is the key to surviving any challenge, including a global pandemic. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can sign up to my monthly newsletter at www.michellepeking.com. 
You can also reach out to me there for interview requests or to be featured on the show. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week. Bye.